0: Good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, and welcome to the American Age podcast. This is your host, C. Travis Webb, editor of the American Age, and I am speaking to you from Irvine, California.
1: Hi, this is Stephen G. Fullwood. I am the co-founder of the Nomadic Archivist Project, as well as the exhibition coordinator for Marking Time. And we, Marking Time Exhibition, focuses on the art in the age of mass incarceration, which is on... View right now at Brown University from September 16th through December 18th, 2022.
0: Uh, This is to remind our listeners that we practice a form of what we like to call intellectual intimacy, which is giving ourselves the space and time to figure out things out loud and together. Um and so we uh, we thought uh, Steph was going to be back this week, but he actually is jetted off to another (laughs) obligation um, in uh, in in Venice, I believe. So, which is wonderful for him. Absolutely. Um. So uh, he'll be back uh, in two weeks. Um. uh, We are talking about um. How did exactly did I how exactly did I phrase? I I mean, I can. Explain it, but how did I phrase Something it? Something
1: about presence. Um. Um. I'm sorry, no I'm adding more onto it. You didn't say that. You time present. How How do you deal with the present versus? It's funny. I have my phone off, so I can't look at my text. Um. Present yeah. versus the future. L-
0: living. Yeah. Living. Living in the present. Living in the now. Living in the moment versus thinking about the future. You know, mm-hmm. uh, living for the future, planning for the future, etc. And I I thought of this because you know these are two very big ideas that oh, yeah. animate a lot of national religious philosophical sensibilities um you know obviously yes. buddhism you know the and, and the idea that you would zen buddhism in particular that you would live in the present you would live in the now you know live spontaneously mm-hmm. Um, Buddhism also contains the idea of living, you know, for the future. I mean, that's what karma is, right? You you want to right. eliminate your karmic accumulation so that you aren't reborn again into, you know, a worse lot in life. Um, mm-hmm. You know, whether it a you know a shudra if you're talking about class, or perhaps a you know an actual animal, <laughs> depending <laughs> on uh, depending on who you're reading. Um, and then of yeah. course this plays in with Christianity as well. Um, mm-hmm. it's all over, uh, it's all over, uh, U S politics. Mm-hmm, uh, it's mm-hmm. all, over, I mean, so anyway, I, I don't know. I don't necessarily want to get into all that stuff. I just, it's everywhere, you know, it's, it's everywhere, the idea yeah. of, of now versus future. So anyway, what did you think when I, when I kicked the idea to you? Uh, what, like, were, what were some of the first places your thoughts went?
1: Well, that's actually, that's good. That's exactly what I did. I started writing down some ideas because I thought it was intriguing, Mm. but also I started tracing my own relationship to both of those ideas. And the first thing Mm. was, I was like, is there a future? Isn't it? We're in the future Mm. right now. (laughs) There's that. Um, I think, so I feel timeless as a person, as an idea, as a concept. And I think Mm -hmm. the way I engaged time when I was a kid antidote I have is that I used to have these dreams where, you know, those really large black clock, black and white clocks you had in the classroom. Sure. I don't know if they're there now, whatever, but they were there in the seventies and eighties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yes. I was, I remember having dreams about just staring at time or the, what was the representation of time in a room full of people who were sitting stock still. And I, over the years I've interpreted it differently, but my fascination with how slippery time feels for me is something Mm -hmm. that's ongoing in my life. I feel maybe timeless is a, is a quick way to talk about it, but I feel as if that when I'm present with people, that's the only Mm -hmm. moment that is actually happening because I've given Mm -hmm. it some time, like this moment with you talking about Mm -hmm. these ideas when i am and i'm alone a lot because i don't have no lover or partner anyway um (laughs) (laughs) i'm alone a lot so i talk to myself a lot about this or that what have you and i feel very fluid and very you know it's it's when something happens like my father's passing for example Mm -hmm. that every second felt um, was charged with something, right? Mm-hmm. It was electric. But for the most part, it's a, there's a fluidity with the way I see time um, or feel time and understand time. For example, this morning, as I mentioned to you, I knew that you might need about five more minutes <laughs> to mm-hmm. get ready, sure. which is yeah, understandable. Yeah. You're getting up. I'm already up for a couple hours running around the city. And I went to the coffee shop because I got up later and I was like, oh, I'll just do my exercising later. I watched to the coffee shop, knew that you would need that extra five minutes and I was reading um, a few things, a few pages and drinking coffee, feeling like time is accelerating as the closer we get to this appointment to do this podcast. But mm-hmm. so that's how I feel time sometimes, like I think everybody does. You know, you have a meeting mm-hmm. with someone, you have you're meeting people. So time becomes a different ele- a diff- it, it feels differently when it's in relationship to someone else, right. Mm-hmm. But when I'm lost in a book or I'm lost watching a film or whatever, time feels different to me. But Mm -hmm. again, presence is being present with people feels really, really good because then I think um, it's these are super concepts to me, very slippery. But being present with people helps me um, engage what I think we call the future, this idea that there's going to be time after this. There's going to be an hour or two Mm -hmm. or a minute or years after this. And as an archivist, mm-hmm. I'm always dealing with the concept of time. I'm always time traveling with that person's archive, yeah, reading those letters, yeah. and then also anticipating what the research interest might be in those documents, right? So mm-hmm. the, that's my mishmashy way of sort of introducing the ideas. But I wrote down a few other things as we talked. But my question for you was, how... Um, do you remember, what, what were your first memories of time when you were a kid, like something that just really, like stuck in your brain all these years, like your first encounter, some, something to deal with time, whether it was, you know, you had to get on the school bus or that you had mm-hmm. to go to karate practice or something, you know, you were moving.
0: Um, probably boredom was my first okay. experience of time. Okay. Okay. Um, which is funny because I know that, uh, you know, Heidegger makes um, a lot out of boredom in his later writings. Uh, the Being in Time, is that the book? It, it's not Being in Time where he talks about Well, I mean, I shouldn't say it's a big book. Um, I, mm-hmm. I don't remember clearly that he talks about, oh, no, wait, maybe it is in Boredom that he, in Being in Time, he talks about boredom. I'm not, I'm, ah, um, uh, I can't remember. I can't remember which place it is, but he Hold talks on. basically the, about boredom being um, the actual experience of the flow of time. Oh. Okay. Um, and it, there's kind of this, there's an aporia or an absence that opens up in our typical engagement with the world because we are... When we are engaged with the world, when we're engaged with people, when we're engaged ob- with objects, we are utility maximizers, or mm. um, we are attempting to uh, extract. Uh, and I mean, he uses these kind of metaphors. I understand they're 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 sort of aggressive, right? Um, but uh, extract things out of the um, out of the activity. Okay. But that boredom. Um, is is literally is doing nothing, is nothing. It is the it's the awareness that even as nothing is happening, time is flowing and that there is a kind of uh emptiness okay. that opens up uh in that encounter with boredom. Uh obviously that was not what I was thinking about boredom when I was six or seven or five or whatever. I was like, age. if you were, about, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but certainly was very conscious of. Of boredom. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, I was um, I was a, a latchkey kid. So okay. you know, both my parents worked and mm-hmm. uh, it was a very working class neighborhood. And I, you know, was home a lot by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, sometimes I could watch TV, sometimes I wasn't allowed to watch TV, sometimes I wanted to, sometimes I didn't want to. But um, very conscious of just the. I want to say more inexorable passage of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, couldn't mm-hmm. speed it up, you know. Couldn't slow it down. Uh, which seems to be it's contrary to what you are saying, but they're both true, of course, right? Of course, I mean, yeah. obviously, I've had the other. I've had the other experience of. I mean, that's most of the other experience of time. Me, you know, like wanting to hold on to something precious uh-huh. um, that seems to be uh, slipping away. You know how quickly the last. I mean, you know, just thinking about. Uh, how quickly the time flies when you're immersed. In, oh yeah. Um, in a in a conversation with someone, mm-hmm. um, if you, you know, like, when you're on a first date with someone, or you've had a really great time with an uh, with an intimate, um, and how just I mean, it's both. It's both that the time seems to be it seems to not exist as you described, like no time. But mm-hmm. that also it f- it's flying by, you know, I mean, it's just like, oh, where did that eight hours go? or where did that six hours go? Yeah. Um, and you know that that awareness certainly has been with me for for most of my life. Um, I, I do I do feel like there is an inherent, I feel like our ideas about time mm-hmm. are um, for the most part pretty adolescent. Um, because they don't make any sense, right? I mean, if you mm. if you scratch the surface of any of of these ideas, they they just they crumble immediately. Okay. But it's clearly a deep preoccupation because we come up with them over and over again. So, like the idea of living in the present, of course,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know. It, there are i there are aspects of that that are immediately uh, appealing, and you know you can sort of imagine you know the the Zen monk you know living right. in the eternal now, and you know this kind of thing. Um, but we call people that live you know that live only in the present and don't think about the future they're they're selfish, right? I mean, mm-hmm. they not not thinking about the impact on other people, or you know they when winter comes, they starve, you know? Right. So, uh, and, you know, I mean, civilization itself is about planning for the future. I mean, it's, you know, from one point of view, it's largely an insurance uh, uh, scheme. I don't want to say scheme. A scheme has such a negative connotation, but, (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm.
0: um, but on the other side of it, you're like, okay, well, you know, living for the future, you, you know, you, you want to plan for the future. You want to think ahead. You want to save your pennies so that they turn into pounds
1: and mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. squirrel
0: your gold away or, um, you know, like get everyone together to create this giant uh, public works project that's going right. to take longer than maybe even your lifetime to complete. Uh, mm-hmm, you know, I'm mm-hmm. thinking of um, uh, the famous cathedral in Barcelona, um, Gaudi's mm-hmm. um, uh, 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 Sagrada Familia. Okay. Uh, and th- this is something that's going to exceed your lifetime is something that can only live in the mm-hmm. future um and right, right, right. and and so that seems to be compelling but then if you're only ever living for the future you where does pleasure come in what does joy come in where does like the actual sort of engagement with the things that are disappearing around you right now
1: i think i don't think they have to be Either or. I feel like it takes a really engaged person to know that I think novelists have that sometimes, right? They some people mm. might or writers in general might know that in the future. There are people they'll they'll never meet that will read their book, you know, in the future, in some sort of, oh, kind sure, of yeah. nebulous space, you know. Um the I I think what a what bothers me about, be present with people. Everything feels like it's being sold to me. Not everything, but a lot of stuff is being sold mm-hmm. to me. If you're on the internet, mm-hmm. you're getting ads, you know, on YouTube mm-hmm. videos or whatever. So it's like, be present, be present, buy my product today. And it's like, well, no, I just wanna be present with a flower. I don't have to buy it. I could just look at it, right? Mm-hmm. And engage it that way. Um, so I think um, early on, earlier this year, I called my friend and I said, isn't procrastination a form of faith? That I I might have said that in a podcast mm-hmm. to you and Seth. Mm-hmm. It sounds because, familiar but Yeah, cuz you're assuming that there will be a future for you to get this thing done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And something excited Absolutely, me about yeah. that idea because I felt like I walked behind the I walked behind the idea of the of the concept of procrastination as a terrible thing vert and just went, "Oh, maybe this is just a form of faith." I mean, isn't that you know so I was,
0: well so, it's also it's also a it's also a form of passing the buck
1: oh no, absolutely yeah like no right what? so
0: you're leaving the work for future steven like future steven's got to take care of this like today steven isn't going to take care of this like this that that asshole tomorrow is going to do it
1: no but that today steven needs to just fog <laughs> the fuck out so, so that there can be a future steven <laughs> you know so no, no, do you know I, what I mean? I, right so i no, hear what you yeah, because I think that yeah. I like this idea. So so let's just, I'll, I'll, I'll put you in it, and I'll say, so the future Travis knows that if you don't call these people this week, you'll have to call them next week when you're even busier. You know, you've got things scheduled. So mm-hmm. I'm, for example, I know by the end of the day, there's certain things that I dread doing that I'm going to do. It's as simple as that. I'm like, I just want them done so I don't have to think about them next week when I have a couple talks lined up. Um, but that's my... my um, my notion of co- procrastination is i just don't have the mind for it right now you know that's excuse mm-hmm. you know it's everybody's excuse i don't mm-hmm. have the mind for it right now don't i can't imagine this
0: the thing that i think we're where i was sort of teasing it apart or, uh, or 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 trying to tease something apart which is that um our ideas about time
1: mm-hmm. um
0: are wholly inadequate to the its dominion over us. So, we, we just, we have, like, no matter what you poke, you know, the most profound religious insight, mm-hmm. no matter what you fucking poke with it, mm-hmm. it doesn't go very deep. And
1: But maybe and, that's and that, its nature, though? Maybe that's the point? They can never really go that, that deep, given the way we understand time. We, we understand nature and seasons and Rotations around the sun. Do you, do you um, know what I mean? When,
0: when you, no, uh, can you elaborate? And I'm not sure what you mean by that.
1: Sure. What I'm saying is that having a relationship with um, nature, having a relationship with needing to plant the crops at a particular time, knowing that this is the season for that, knowing that you, um, our relationship to time is that pretty soon I'm going to, have to wear heavy coats because it's just cold outside. Mm. my understanding of time in that way feels like it's just a part of life as it relates to being present or in the future i mean i think i've i'd like to think that i've encapsulated but sort of giving you an example where i know that soon i'll be have to do this i know that soon Mm. in the far future hopefully i'll die so what do i do before that you know put my affairs in order um hopefully try to keep myself healthy enough to enjoy the rest Enjoying of what I'm right, yeah, Exactly.
0: Sure. Yeah.
1: And I vacillate um, between two points, total um, existentialism and supreme, like really pr- um, presence with people in a way that actually knocks me out. Like I can be a little mm, f- too focused mm, because it's so um, something so engaging for me. And I'm so excited by it that I, all I want to do is talk about it all day long or be with yeah. that person or eat that food. <laughs>
0: right oh, yeah. right um i the thing i would i would add to that though is most of the history of civilization is about removing the limitations of that relationship so mm. we we don't necessarily yeah oh, want to live in, in subject to the seasons we don't want to live subject to change we want Agreed. stability you know i mean that obviously you know 5,000 yeah, years ago, stability. we started, yeah. yeah, we kind of settled down, started farming. It's, oh, it's a little easier than foraging. You know, we don't have to hunt the game. Oh, look, we can just domesticate them and then kill them. You know, we don't have to like go out on these hunting parties and things like that.
1: And then right, it becomes right. a
0: form of leisure activity. So it's no longer, uh, you know, it's no longer a requirement. So then the nobility can hunt things for fun. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then, you know, so it, the the, I mean, you know, which continues today in the South, hunting is a very popular pastime. Um, they're coming to and, take our guns. Anyway, I had to say that. <laughs> well, yeah, cause they need them Damn. for hunting. I mean, a, yeah, right? so, well, it's not an, un, I mean, for, I mean, that's a, t- a total digression, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, fun. it's not, it, it's not an untrue thing that, that a certain segment of the population is very invested in gun control, which Absolutely. another segment of the population sees as, uh, you know, kind of inseparable from um, a kind of, an essential symbol of what it means to live authentically in the South, right? Uh, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. I guess in the uh, world, absolutely. really. I mean, but we're just being local with it. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I guess sorry. I'm
0: saying, I, so no, no, no. So I guess I, all I'm saying is with, so I understand, I think I understand your point now. I I, I get that. I get that we are, we are nature, right? I mean, we mm-hmm. are, it's not, exactly. you know, we're, <laughs> we're born, we die, etc. cetera. Um, And, you know, there's a kind of inevitability to that, but I don't, I guess I don't feel like that really captures, um, the enormity of our engagement with time and, and really our, um, our war against time. Uh, I mean, I, I really feel like human civilization, I mean, what are the pyramids if not a battleship sent into battle against time. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, to, to really, uh, you know, to really say, no, we will not disappear. I I guess, no, I will not disappear. Since we're talking about, you know, Mm -hmm. kings and queens and whatnot. Um, And so Mm I, I think again, you know, when you, like when you try to talk about something some uh, let me let me try, take it sideways a little bit so you mm-hmm. know when you try and if you were to say you know why do you love your son why do you love carla mm-hmm. w- probably what you would say would not be all that interesting and really would not touch on the depth of your feeling for for mm-hmm. for these people i know for me if i was to say why i love my wife or why i love my son if i was to do this it, it would it wouldn't even come close to uh to expressing the depth of my feeling for my oldest son or my youngest son or my wife or my parents or my mm-hmm, friends mm-hmm. and and so it, the ideas themselves the expression of them mm-hmm. are wholly inadequate to the task that's what i mean about our ways of talking about time and talking with these helpful Yes. Yeah. And with these kind of like, you know, live for the moment, you know, we've got to live mm-hmm. in the present or like, you've know, got to live for tomorrow or whatever. Like, no, it's just, it's, it's so inadequate to dealing mm-hmm. with this thing that, that both inspires and ruins us.
1: So, so I I was trying, I was tracking your thought or I was going along with your thinking about the inadequate, our And I was wondering if that's a problem.
0: Mm, mm, probably.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it is. I don't know if it is because um, language only approximates, right? This is what we're doing. We're using language mm-hmm, to approximate mm-hmm. the way we feel and think about things, right? So, and so I'm still, I'm not, this is not where I'm, I'm, I'm living, but the idea for me that some things are inexpressible doesn't bother me too much. Like I love the the poetry that gets close to something that feels like something I felt before or that wanted mm. to feel. Something about that relationship feels very um personal, intimate. Same word, kind of the same word, but but it feels oh, like that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get it. And I'm learning I'm learning my terrible French right now. I won't say terrible French. I'm developing my <laughs> idea of French. <laughs> Je m'appelle Etienne. Uh, so <laughs> I'm thinking about how. The reason why I asked you earlier on whether or not you were, um, you were reading, you had read something in French, uh, some French philosophers in French was because I was wondering if their legibility was more, was, it was clearer in French. Like I've been hearing people who say, who said over, this is over the years, but more recently, you lose a lot when you translate things because, you, because there are no words for this in your language. Mm -hmm. The whole idea that Eskimos have 20,000 words for snow versus the way we snow, slush. What what else you got, you know, in English? So I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I like the idea of getting close to something, but I'm also, and I don't know if the word is holy, but that word popped in my head as I was thinking that I want to, Mm -hmm. it's important. Because the mind wants to think, I think, I think the mind wants to think. I want. I think the heart wants to love. These are my ideas right now. They may change and develop mm-hmm. over the years. But but the more I'm engaged with life, the more I want to know. Mm-hmm. And I'm also I have a space for the I can't know that. I may I may not ever know that. That's the. Sure, I may not sure, ever yeah, know yeah. the enormity of mm-hmm. how big. Because I've I've written about Carla, I've written about Andre, and at one point I was writing about my friends about what they bring to me. And so as a writing mm-hmm. exercise, I would say, okay, so if this person were a dwelling, what kind of house would they be? Oh, this person's mm-hmm. an apartment. Well, this person only lets me in <laughs> their living room, but it's all covered in plastic. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> this person lets me in their attic, and then they want to close the door, and I'm like, I can't get out. You know, but <laughs> there's certain kinds of personalities. <laughs> This person is a murderer. <laughs> this person's trying to kill me. Now, this person just wants me to take him way more seriously than I can because I don't have those those uh, those talents or that uh, perspective. But but I like being able to think about things like that, and it's exciting to me that there's there are all these different ways that I can express it. It that's ex- that doesn't feel like a deficit. It feels like let's try to see what we can do with metaphor and color and maybe photographs or whatever. Mm-hmm. That sounds fun, but I've been disabused of the notion that I will know everything that I want to know in this life, but that I can have fun trying. You know, I can have fun trying, but I never want to be so um, knotted up inside, my intestines knotted up, that I can't um, process something and let and be with the flow of it. And that's why I'd like, yeah. I want to know other languages. I'm like, okay, so how would you express this? I mean, what I'm learning so far about um, the uh, about French and Spanish, of course, and um, uh, Portuguese. These male words, female words, <laughs> you know, these mm-hmm. kinds of things. I'm like, okay, so I, okay, so I'm gonna take that into understanding the politics, or maybe the art, more the architecture, that kind of thing. I've said it a lot. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. No, no, that's fine. Uh, the um, I uh, I'm. F- I mean, this, this is a, a side note. I'm a I'm a little bit skeptical on. Whether gendered nouns influences thinking substantially. So okay, it's the you know it's called the Sapir-Whorf hypothesis. Who mm-hmm. uh, uh, Edward Sapir and I, I forget Whorf's first name, but um, okay. these were linguistic anthropologists, early twentieth century, and oh, um, okay. uh, Sapir himself uh, studied uh, Native American language families um, mm-hmm, and. Mm-hmm. Basically, there's the strong version of the sapir whorf hypothesis and the weak version. And, mm-hmm. you know, the strong version is that language determines thought. And the weak version is that it, 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 it inflects thought. It influences thought.
1: Okay. Um, okay.
0: And so, you know, I think probably the second version, some version of the second version certainly has to be true. Your Eskimo Snow example is probably a pretty good one where... It's definitely going to influence how you think about snow mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if you have all of these variety of words for it. Mm-hmm. Even if you control for the experiences, right? So you're just going to see things differently because you're going to have the language for it.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: so I, I think that's probably true. Um, I, I, uh, there's really no, at least in Latin, certainly, and in my experience of of French, there are mm-hmm. some. There's some low hanging fruit for uh gendering certain nouns and then they also just mm-hmm. don't make any sense at all. So, you know, like it's just like not connected, you mm-hmm. know, not connected at all. You could you'd have to come up with some weird just so story that, you know, there is no comprehensive way to do that because mm-hmm. language is is essentially wild, right? It's spontaneous. It is wild. It's, it is spontaneous. Yeah, it's, it's not control. It's not controllable. Um, you know, you that's why you got to keep adding pages to the dictionary as long as people are talking. So
1: people are mad about that. But uh, what I love is that there is a <laughs> yeah, TikTok about that. channel where a guy goes and what's the word for this? And it's the same word with a slightly different infection or it's spelled the same way. And, you know, uh, like that's fun. Yeah, I don't have a, an example, but he'll like the guy goes, But then how do you say this? But doesn't that mean? And then at the end, he goes, Well, how would you say? And in English, he'll say this. And he goes, poo-poo, 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 poo-poo. And it'll be the entire, the same word, slightly different infections throughout, you know, and possibly months. That's great. And, and I love that because this guy never seems to get finished. You know, he's never finished. There's just one every two or three days where he's making these videos. Mm-hmm. And so I mm-hmm. like the flexibility in that language. It's a little daunting because I'm like, like you, I don't want to give the wrong word. Powerful, you know, when I'm trying to order some <laughs> right, right, food right, or, right. you know. So. Right, right, and right. also a very unhelpful waiter, I think. You know what I'm trying to say, buddy. <laughs> Come on. You help me out here. I'm English, you know. So, but yeah, I actually, yeah, the fluidity of language or people who are angry that the word, I think, what was one word? made into the English language, into the dictionary, rather, it was like, I think, not dope, but something like some some hip-hop term. I forget what it's called, hmm. but... Okay. Dis, for diss. For shizzle? For oh, no, shizzle? Oh, dis. Oh, Okay. It was dis. Okay. Don't dis me, you know? And I was like, that's just how English works. I mean, American English works. The words yeah. that are given a lot of currency, a lot of work, people are mad for a while, and then it ends up in the dictionary. Boom. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. Yeah, you know. uh, yeah,
0: for sure. As it should be. Uh, absolutely, would be
1: yeah. It's really, just what it is. Really
0: dull and boring um and dead <laughs> in, fa- in fact in fact and I mean literally that is, you know, when you stop adding and improvising words it, that the language is dead at that point. And so, yeah, Is that Latin?
1: Is that the point of Latin? Yeah.
0: Well, so Latin's really interesting because um it's quasi, it's sort of like, it's a zombie language because there are, I mean, my Latin is terrible, um, but uh, I never got past being able to read with the dictionary, but um, the, uh, there are people who, and they'll have like, Camps uh, like adult mm-hmm. camps where people will get together and just speak Latin to one another. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so there are people in the world today, mm-hmm. thousands of them, who are literally fluent in Latin. And they Wonderful. come up with novel forms of expression. So it's mm-hmm. not... It's not a living language because it doesn't like really have a home, and there's no, you know. But mm-hmm. but it's also not really dead because you know not people not are, are still speaking it. Ancient Greek is probably, I would say, definitively a dead language. I'm sure a linguist would maybe take me to task on that, but I, I think probably is it not dead because, because we're
1: not speaking it, or we're not because yes. I think Latin is very at, useful when you are and trying and to figure out a word. You're like, oh, okay, I understand this. Yeah, and then it's can, not
0: just that. It's mm-hmm. that. They're not even sure how. Some of the words were pronounced, like okay. how the accents worked um, uh-huh. uh, and the inflections on 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 many of the words. They, you know, their best guess, you know, uh, is right. uh, using mm-hmm. kind of how Greek is spoken now. Okay, Sanskrit is is definitely uh, all, but you know, again, Sanskrit's a little weird because it's a liturgical language, so it's still used in, mm-hmm. in uh, certain sacramental yep. ceremonies and. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. So, anyway, I mean. It, yeah. Anyway, it's dead. It's, you know, you're not adding, you're not adding words to it. It's a dead language. So it's like know, that we're talking uh, about
1: language and, and then we're talking about presence in, in um, the future. So a zombie language, that's really interesting to think about yeah
0: um, I, I'm, I'm sure they would object to being described that way but
1: but I mean uh, they, you know, people I just see you know people walking dead people speaking that language yeah. <laughs> and when someone's going yeah. what I don't understand you uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: yeah I think um, you know the reason that I um, I think part of we haven't really touched on which is fine it doesn't it's it's a fun conversation anyway mm. I think one of the you know one of the The reasons that I found the topic perhaps interesting and and expansive, the idea between you know the idea of living for the present versus living in the present versus um, you know living for the future, Mm -hmm. is that it seems uh, it, it seems to me that it's again it's at the heart of a lot of what we fight about. In in mm-hmm, our politics, mm-hmm. um, a a lot a lot a lot a lot of what animates our politics, um, on both the left and the right, is the fear of impending collapse or doom. Right, the the pending climate apocalypse. Right, you know it's. It's really ratcheted up to eleven, you know, mm-hmm, floods mm-hmm. and storms and you know, practically fire raining from heaven, right? Um, and then, of course, on the right, they're they're uh, they're certainly not uh, uh, immune to that either. Obviously, literal apocalypse for many uh, evangelicals, literally, you know, the for them, the return of the savior and end of the world and have to atone for our sins and and all that stuff. So, um, mm-hmm. but uh, in In areas, I forget who wrote the the, book. It was a really fascinating book on um, basically um, kind of economic prosperity and rapid social change. Often accompany um, eschatologies, uh, end-of-the-world eschatologies. So, uh, for example, in in, in Israel right now, which is one of the leading um, kind of... uh, Tech Contested hubs side. in the world, okay. yeah, yeah. For certainly, no, no, I'm talking about just like economically, they're one of the leading mm-hmm. uh, innovators of, of software and technology.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, probably not too far. By, I mean, behind the United States, but you know, not very far. Okay. Um, very, there is a a very powerful undercurrent of um, kind of apocalyptic zeal uh, that the end of times are near. Mm. Um, and, and it really, it, and it it's, it's a motivator. It's an engine. Like there's a sense of urgency in uh-huh, producing uh-huh. the things that, that they produce. Same was true with uh, in 18th century in the United States, certainly mm-hmm. true during the second great awakening all through the fifties, you know, one of the, the times of great expansion, 50s, yes. e- economic expansion in the United States, you know, impending nuclear destruction. Mm-hmm. And now again in the 21st century, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with um, with the greens and you know, Im, you know, impending uh, apocalypse or uh, environmental collapse.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, stuff about carrying capacity, etc. So, this the future is this threat, right? It's this thing that is is looming in right. in, in, in it's. It's the bear in the woods, you know, the lion in the woods um, that's going to maul, it's going to maul us, right? It's going to take us out. Um, You know, all the things that we love, all all of our uh, comforts, all of our security are just going to be mauled by the future, whatever that future Mm. is. Mm. Um, Nuclear war, you know, climate apocalypse, et cetera. Um,
1: (laughs) Climate.
0: uh, Yeah, 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 yeah. I I just mean that you could... Ah. Yeah. You know, they, they kind of all, I know that if you're really invested in any one of these stories, the comparison is off-putting. Yes. But if you just look at the stories as a genre, as a social phenomena, they have a lot in common.
1: No, they do. <laughs> There's a they lot do. in common
0: amongst them. And, and um, the th- oh, sorry, go ahead.
1: No, just thinking about fear and then uh, expansion. Fear expansion, fear, yeah. Um, development, fear, and it's like, can we do something that doesn't is not the basis of fear or yeah. struggle? But that seems to be one of the ways I understand, and I have a very limited sense of history, but that there's always this sort of, sort of struggle to um, for, towards a kind of freedom that at times isn't that well articulated, but we know that the oppression, <laughs> oppression and repression, we don't want that right yeah Um, but sometimes folks don't have the imagination sometimes of what that freedom would look like it might turn you into the very thing that you're fighting against (laughs) um as we mentioned earlier we're talking about a desire for a desire to be repressed this fascist idea that Mm -hmm. one identifies Mm -hmm. with power but doesn't really recognize the the through the 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 road to fascism right Mm -hmm. and I um very little information about this, but it was I guess something that Gatari and Deleuze were talking about, I think in Anti Oedipus. Um, but the idea came a little earlier with some other people who were thinking that fascism isn't something that happens to people, it's something that people are it's in them already, it's already seeded. It's just the times that bring it out. The fear, the the um the pay, uh the fear of difference, the, um, the frustration with a particular kind of living. And if this thing over here mm-hmm. were eradicated, we would live so much better. And so mm-hmm. there are fascist tendencies in the US, um, of course, that we can see happening. What I don't understand is that, and I think maybe it has something to do with the lack of understanding history, is like, why are we doing this again by saying that if we just live like this, everything will be okay? Is that the notion of safety? And the eradication of anything that doesn't look like me or you, that makes people feel more comfortable. I want the garden. I don't want just roses. (laughs) Yeah. So I want to live in that kind of world. I don't want to live in a world where we are. I want to live in a world where I don't tell Travis he needs to do this to live. Yeah. I don't want Um, Travis's house to burn down. I I want his house to live. And I want to be a good neighbor. That's what I want to be. (laughs) Right? Yeah. So that's what I'm um, talking about. <laughs> yeah, and I know I've kind of yeah. like maybe No, 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 I'm I I'm basically
0: following you, I think. Um and it's mm-hmm. fine we don't have to we don't have to stay exactly uh on on point. It doesn't matter. It's the point of the conversation, right? So we kind of uh, follow where it leads. But mm-hmm. I you know, as far as you know, okay, so thinking about the the fascism thing and sort of yeah, what what the thread that had led us into that was that um
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, growth and expansion is a is a natural response to this fear of the future or fear of of loss or whatever which i think it seems pretty plausible to me um okay. i think you know the, the the fascist thing um i worry about not so this is generalized. This isn't about our conversation. I worry about how fascist gets used um mm-hmm. today. Um
1: okay. because
0: in in contemporary discourse, I think it's it's really misused and it's it's really a way to dismiss politics that we don't agree with. So um I Can think I, and I'm not yeah, certainly. So mm-hmm. you know, um Labeling the Republican Party as fascist, I don't think is very useful. I, don't I agree with think mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think that's super useful. I think, are there members of the Republican Party that have fascist tendencies? Yeah, probably. And are there members of the Democratic Party that have authoritarian tendencies? Yeah, absolutely. for sure. No,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. Uh,
0: um, but most Republican voters that go in and r- vote reliably are, you know, it's like a sports thing for them. Yeah, you know, it's you know, it's I'm a, I'm an Islanders fan or whatever. Um,
1: I, I just mean, started to get that when I was watching news shows more often. I'm like, oh, this is a this is kind of a game. <laughs> this yeah, is yeah. this is yeah. So I, I've often thought that your perspective was. Using blanket terms to describe any group of people, or i you know, or idea, can, I mean, or group of people, or or um, group of people, or, or political is dangerous because it actually, um, what does it do? it it, re- it reduces the power of that word to really identify fascism or identify yeah. racism or identify white supremacy or white misanthropy, these kinds of things. Yeah. So I've, yeah. I've, I've tracked that. And I agree with you because I feel like it It feels like a shorthand on when people go, that's fascism. And I go, mm-hmm. maybe you need to read more about fascism or just understand <laughs> it. And I'm speaking to myself more so than anyone else. I'm going, I yeah. need to be more aware of these things. But the shorthand for me is that it feels... And I'm not, actually, I don't even want to defend myself. I just want to, I I want the language to meet the thing that I'm Mm -hmm. looking at. And I want Mm -hmm. to be able to parse it and go, well, you know what? Wonderful housewife. She's amazing. (laughs) Takes care of the home. Uh, Goes to work every day. uh, uh, uh. Over here, this is some bullshit, right? I want to be able to do (laughs) that. And I think that given ah, time... (laughs) the idea of time, you feel like you immediately need to have a quick take on something that maybe you don't, maybe you need Mm -hmm. to fall back a bit, you know, and think about
0: it. I've appreciated that. It's something I've taken, uh, honestly, if we're sort of uh, trading things that we've tracked, it's something you've brought up in the podcast a lot, which actually I've written down on a note somewhere here on my computer is that you don't have Mm -hmm. to have an opinion about everything. Um and it's just so it's, easy. It's yeah, it really, it really, it really is. Um, and so I, it's actually, uh, literally, been something I've worked on, even if it's my first step in wanting to have an opinion about something. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So like when I see something and I'll, I'll see an emotional response to it or whatever, I'm like, okay, um, I don't need to have an opinion about this yet. Let me read more. Um, you know, let me find oh. out. Let me let me uh, you know, one of the things on um Twitter that I find super useful mm-hmm. is, you know, someone with a high follower count will make some strong claim. Mm-hmm. Um, which might even be interesting, or you think, like, oh, that seems like, you know, kind of on point. i not I don't mean like like nutty stuff. I just mean like, you know, some strong claim about the war in Ukraine or some strong claim claim about mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. Someone that I actually really like, Peter Zion, um, mm-hmm. who uh Gas prices in California are off the charts.
1: Okay,
0: they're crazy expensive. So it's up to like eight dollars a gallon in L.A. Uh, Where I am, it's uh, sometimes you can find high fives, depending on the neighborhood. But uh, Mm -hmm. uh, lots of places are in the low sevens, uh, high sixes. Mm -hmm. So, uh, which is totally different than the rest of the United States. So the rest of the United States, gas prices have stabilized and gone down since their highs. Okay, and. Peter Zion, you know, of course, you know, if you just, if you go at the very surface levels, like, oh, the libs, you know, they, you drug, uh, California this, California that. Like, okay, it's probably a little bit more complicated than that. But, you know, let's just, let's just for shits and giggles, take a look. So, you know, Peter's, um, <laughs> Zion is, uh, his, he makes this claim. So on Twitter, he made this claim, uh, California, uh, unlike the rest of the United States, gets most of its uh, gas is imported. So most of our oil mm-hmm. uh, needs are imported from overseas. The United, the rest of the United States is mostly domestic supply. Oh,
1: wow. But California
0: is not. And so like, oh, okay. So that seems like, an explanation until you think for a second, well, okay, why? So I guess, I guess right. California is, is exposed to uh, international gas or uh, petroleum prices more than the uh, the rest of the United States would be. But if you just, if you scroll down on Twitter, you will find someone that's got like 200 followers, but is like a 20 year veteran of like the petroleum industry that will correct you. And so, I mean, and this is, this is all over the place. It's all over the place. People Mm -hmm. with real expertise that aren't, that aren't like culture warriors that don't have Mm -hmm. high follower counts, but like really know their shit, like really know their shit. And so you scroll down and it turns out Peter Zion's wrong about this or Mm -hmm. very likely it seems like he's wrong because it is true that California does get most of its most of its oil is imported. but the the real uh, uh, and then you know you end up learning all this other stuff, I guess there's something called the crack spread okay in in petroleum um, trading, which is basically cracking is when you take crude oil and break it into more useful hydrocarbons, okay. plastics, gasoline, kerosene, propane, et cetera. Or I guess propane is natural gas, but uh, so you, you, you crack it, you crack the, the, uh, the complex chain and break it into all the simpler ones that we use to power, power modern civilization. And so this crack spread, which is the price of what a crude crude oil costs versus the cost of refined product is called, Mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. called the crack spread. And it's generally, um, you know, th- there's some wiggle room there, but it, there there's enough wiggle room that it's a, a, a an area of successful arbitrage, which is you know mm, kind mm-hmm. of buying and selling at the same time. So you okay. buy buy the same product at a dollar, you sell it at a dollar oh two to someone else, mm. and you make two cents. You do this all the time, and you become you know a millionaire or whatever. Mm-hmm. I guess the crack spread in California uh in uh, on the West Coast has like spiked three or four hundred percent because of. Be. R- Because of refinery capacity. So all of these Mm -hmm. refineries in California are offline or damaged or, you know, these, these seasonal, I mean, some things are political, but a lot of it's just shit, this happened. And, Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. that's why gas price. So, um, I don't know how I, I, I know my point was basically saying that, um, if you if give you more just, information, fall
1: back. not have your immediate response yeah, to something yeah. without thank having you, thank you. more information. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. You can just like okay, like I'm gonna I'm gonna pause for a second, and I'm gonna not form an opinion, and then and then my, this is my, and my tip is like just scroll down on Twitter, like
1: that that's it, like scroll literally down. scroll down. Open <laughs> a dictionary, read more than one article. I mean, there's so many ways you could do this. And I, what I love about your example is that this guy because you made me think. The more the guy who has seventy five k followers versus the guy who only has three hundred might be in, might be as simple as the person with the two hundred followers doesn't continuously add people on Twitter. You know, he or they might just come on and have a very modest, you know, following. But also, they may not be camera ready. They may not be interested in being online all the time. But they have the expertise, and so. What I noticed is that there's a friend of mine, well, he's not really a friend of mine, he's an associate. I've watched him over the years write books that are always in the zeitgeist. They're always about that particular mm. moment. So they, mm-hmm. In some ways, they're dated, and they're not even that well-written, but people like him because he's cute. <laughs> and so, right. Right. <laughs> I, I do want to write about him and his idea, not to put him down, but just to go, you wouldn't have the moment you have. I my theory is, is that I think if you were the 200, the guy with the 200 followers, you, it, you wouldn't be the guy with the 75K followers. You'd be the 200 guy with these ideas mm-hmm. that are just okay. But since you are tele, telegenic, yeah and, telegenic you have, yeah, and you have some charm, you have more currency. But you're not really saying a lot that other mm-hmm. folks don't mm-hmm. know. It's just that it's coming from your cute body. So sometimes I wonder if people, like when I'm watching Ari Mauber or somebody on MSNBC, sometimes when people come on, what I really love about the um, pandemic, no one's ever said that. You know what I love about the pandemic? No one's ever said that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Is that people were at home and they had to light themselves, right? So you Mm -hmm. see people's Mm -hmm. houses, you see, you're like, that guy was on TV not long ago and he looked really differently than he does now. Lighting, mm-hmm. makeup. So mm-hmm, the artifice mm-hmm. is kind of stripped away for a moment and you're looking mm-hmm. at real people. You know, you're looking at people who aren't made up, but they have the same maybe good or bad information. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? But I think that right now, and I've mentioned this to you and try um you and Seth before, when broadcasters did not look like models. <laughs> Right. They just look like Walter Cronkite. They just look like somebody. Women have always—they've always had the double standard with women, though. They always yeah, need to be the course. Jessica Savages yeah. and these other folks. But no, the yeah. men could be like, ah, you know, Quasmodo, but he could be. <laughs> 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 but it's anyway, kind of I'm,
0: still that way though. Like, um, what's the name? Peter Tubin or not Peter? Uh, Michael tu- Tubin. The, what's oh. But I I don't remember. I think that he's not the guy that got caught spanking it on the guy that got caught spanking it. Oh, I like Jeffrey.
1: I like Jeffrey Tubin. Yeah, that guy, Jeffrey Tubin. Jeffrey Jeffrey Tubin. Yeah, no, 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 no. I'm not.
0: I'm not. No, no, I'm it's fine. I'm I'm fine with Jeffrey Tubin, but he's clearly not a looker. (laughs) It's definitely not. This is definitely if you were to walk into a party, your eyes would not be drawn to the five foot two portly Jew across the room, like, come on, there's no... <laughs> that could be your thing.
1: First of all, everybody's got something. <laughs> well, that's true. No, that's everybody's true. got yeah, something that's into i true. True. I'm the wrong person to, to, to comment about it because I see beauty in everything, and beauty in everybody. I do, I do, I always do, and I actually thought about that yesterday. And when I was constantly being told as a kid that that woman's ugly or that man's ugly, after a while, I started to, I felt like I was being, and I didn't know it then, but I stopped feeling that way. And then I went back to it as an adult. There's, mm-hmm. there's something beautiful about everyone, but there are the bracketed beautifuls, <clears throat> the bracketed right. people we should be paying more attention to, and let me tell you, they are not a smart lot at times, <laughs> and that's what I'm saying. <laughs> this house on TV <laughs> giving terrible advice about shit they don't know about. So anyway, that's all I'm saying. But um, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Well, I think uh, I
0: think we're actually coming up on time, so yeah. I think you you have your your meaning, so Um. So okay, well that's good. I mean, we we wandered pretty far afield. Don't from, listen to pretty people; Fee. they don't know
1: what they're talking yeah. about. They're just cute. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, yeah.
0: So okay, all right. So uh, I it was great conversation as always. Um, thank you. Thank I think you. always. Um, so we have our note, and then we've got uh, we'll return to something uh, with our our wayward third member in a couple yeah. weeks.
1: He'll be back when he stops traveling the world or the galaxy. Yeah, or whatever. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. right. Take care. Take care. Bye.